Hi, this is Matthew Rose, and you are listening to the CVH Podcast. That feels loud. All right. Um, I'm just sitting here reading an article in the New York Times from a couple days ago that says, excuse me, I should always clear my throat before I start, but I never remember, um, that says New York City theaters, Broadway theaters in particular, are going to open on September 14th. Now, that sounds like... um, Victory? Uh, that sounds pretty good to me. Um, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure how to feel about it. I mean, nobody, no mention of the opera houses and things like that. But I would imagine if the theaters are open completely, then we have to be open. Now, you know, contract negotiations are a whole different thing. Uh, but um, as far as being allowed to work, it seems like September 14th is going to be a go. Now, I mean, who knows what that's going to mean? Uh, no, no theater is going to open up. No Broadway theater will open up socially distanced. It's a, it's a financial disaster. They'll never do that. Um, it doesn't say that masks will be required yet, and it also doesn't say whether or not uh, proof of vaccination is going to be required. Although the uh, the governor said that he was going to leave that to the theater district um, um, to decide uh, whether or not you need to prove that you've been vaccinated before you go in there. I mean, you know, and the governor says, uh, you know, would you sit next to somebody who hasn't been vaccinated for three hours, you know, in in, in tight tight quarters? Um, I definitely would if I've been vaccinated, right? Wasn't that the point of the vaccination so that this thing can be around and you don't have to get it, right? Isn't that the the point? So if you're just worrying about yourself, uh, if if you have protected yourself, to your own liking, then then we should be good to go, right? Am I nuts? I feel like that's uh, okay. We've been waiting, right? We've been doing this for a long time. We've been waiting for that light at the end of the tunnel, and that is it, September 14th. Um, that is not worldwide. That is not every city, but that's New York, right? And that's our that's our most populated city by, by uh, square footage, by far. Um and and they're saying we're safe. We're 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 gonna go. Is anybody gonna go? <laughs> Are people gonna buy tickets? I mean, <laughs> you know, you have to think about it. Uh, I I'm I'm I have a good degree of certainty to think that most Broadway performers, dancers, and singers and actors uh, left. Uh, I would imagine nobody's in town. Maybe that's why you have your September 14th opening. Uh, these shows are not ready to go. You know, some of the old standbys, you could you could probably cast it with a bunch of people who've done it before and and go put up your show. But for the most part, uh, you know, nobody's in town. <laughs> Nobody is in town, and I guarantee you everybody's in bad shape. <laughs> everybody's, there's going to be some work to get those things back up to, uh, up to ready. I, I wonder what that means. Can they... Can they start rehearsing? Can they, I don't know. It's all, there's a million questions and no answers. But the bottom line is uh, something can happen. (laughs) We're all just banking on something. Something is enough, right? 
Uh, I thought that was very, very encouraging. Now, how that affects us uh, remains to be seen. Um, uh, we have a pretty heavy union at the Met that has not finished negotiating, nor do they sound close according to their very uh, often press releases. But, you know, a lot of that is political things and people have to say grandiose things. And, and uh, I, I nego- you know, <sighs> union negotiations are tough. Um, and the Met has at least 17 unions. I think it's 17. Maybe it's 16. Uh, that's, that's a lot of negotiating to do. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I am a member of one of these unions. And so, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways it's, it's difficult to speak about. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see the, the stage crew get back to work. I can't imagine that if New York city theaters are open, that the Met wouldn't be open. Um, it's a it's a it's a weird place. I I'm I'm hoping for, you know, good faith on both sides to come in and figure out what is actually possible to to get the doors back open. Because while there is one union that has not negotiated yet, there are at least fifteen that have and are ready to go. And everybody's been out of work for a long time now. And you, and you don't want people to make concessions, and you need people to live, but. Uh, this is a long time out of work. Who's ready to go back to work? Um, surely the Met didn't create COVID. <laughs> They're just dealing with it like everybody else. What a funny thing. I'm, I'm actually not in New York in the fall for the first fall in a long time. I'll be in, uh, hopefully be in Chicago. And what I'm hoping here is that, you know, if the New York governor uh, and Broadway decide that it's safe and we can be open, I'm, I'm hoping other major cities follow suit. And we can get back to something here because it does really feel like enough. <laughs> uh, I got word that uh, we're good to go in Paris for next month too. So um, you know things are things are um, in the positive column. I gotta think we're gonna be close now. Hundred million Americans have one shot. That doesn't sound like enough, but that sure is a lot. And and the concentrations of where they're of where you know the, the greatest percentages of people who have them are the big cities. Uh, it seems like the 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 states where vaccinations are falling way behind uh, is in uh, you know rural southern uh, southern states where there there's a lot of skepticism about vaccinations and stuff. And uh, it's such a it's such a weird area to be in, you know. Um, we get vaccinations when we're babies <clears throat> so that we don't get, uh, you know, horrible things that kill you. And so, uh, the, you know, if, if you don't get your children vaccinated, I, I don't have a lot of, <laughs> I don't have a lot of things to say to you, but this is a new one, you know, and, and, uh, the, you know, the flu shot every year, I, I get a flu shot every year, but a lot of people don't, um, you know, and they either get sick or they don't get sick, what, what, what have you. It's not, um, that one seems to be optional. And, and of course the COVID one is completely optional too, but. Uh, it's never, it's never going to feel normal out there until more people have that. Uh, and I saw that, um, you know, big companies in New York, Goldman Sachs were calling all their people back. There were a lot of, um, uh, internet companies in San Francisco. They're going to be calling their people back into the, into the offices. I think everybody's done with all this zoom shit. <laughs> I think the, uh, the CEO of zoom actually said in one of the articles that he was t- he was tired of Zoom meetings too, after a record nineteen different meetings in one day. I I know everybody 
uh, in my life who have to deal with this Zoom meeting and Zoom learning. Uh, it's just it's just not a way to live. We can't, we can't live staring at these machines more. You know, like the 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 phone and the iPad and the computer already uh, own most of our day. Uh, there has to be these times where we actually interact with people. Um, it's good to look people in the eye, right? I feel like it's a it's a terrible problem. There's some serious anxiety with the younger generation, and they and they are nervous to look you in the eye. And I think it's just got to be because we just spent so much time looking at the phones, or their parents spent too much time looking down at their phones. And we just we missed the part of life where eye contact was important, and that's a thing. It's hard to survive in the real world if you can't look somebody in the eye and shake their hand and and um, and be you know uh, be heard and and to to hear what they have to say. It's a um, I don't know. I think I think we're in life for experiences and connections. I, I don't know what else we're here for. I go through this all the time. What are we doing? What are we, <laughs> what is this? And I'm, I'm not special. I think every 42 year old man in the world is, <laughs> does this. What are we doing? What is all of this again? <clears throat> and I think it just comes down to collecting experiences, good and bad and wonderful and joyous and simple and complicated and, and connecting with people, making connections, um, knowing that you shared something with a human being, whether it was a cup of coffee or a smile or, or, um, or a, 25 year marriage or, 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 a, a stranger you meet for five seconds, you know, like just life is a collection of experiences and, and these interactions and, and somehow those interactions are getting lost in this sea of technology and, 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 uh, you know, zoom, zoom helped us through all this stuff. Uh, I, I sat in on a few, not like some people doing 15 a day, but, um, uh, it's tough. It's tough to stare at a computer and see your friends and see your colleagues and wish that you could reach out and hug them and, and uh, you're just sort of waving through a computer. I'm, I'm done with it. Um, I see a lot of shows going on. Philadelphia just did a Tosca. Uh, the San Francisco Barber was a huge success. I know they had a big thing out there. Um, I think I read that the Philadelphia Orchestra was going to go back to um, audiences. Uh, the Dallas Symphony is figuring something out. There's a lot of... Um, movement in that direction now. We need everybody to get on board with this. Um, safely, right? Safely. We followed all our protocols in, in Paris and we had zero problems and that was a lot of people, uh, a lot of people in the building, including the whole chorus and orchestra. And, and from what I gathered in six weeks, we had no positive cases. And the French don't like to follow rules. <laughs> I just went, I went from the opera house to the grocery store to my apartment, to the opera house to the grocery store to my apartment. I really, I would take a walk every day, but I wouldn't, you know, there was no real place to go. And so, you know, when they close everything like that. But I think on May 15th, most of those heavy Parisian restrictions are getting lifted. They're going to move that curfew back to nine o'clock. They're going to open the shops again. People can go shopping. What a crazy thing. It's an amazing thing to have experienced. Um, sometimes I think about that at my age, I go, well, I lived, uh, an adult life before the internet and after the internet. And so, you know, we, we were the people that experienced both. And, uh, you know, this, this generation is lucky where there's going to be people who went through COVID and, and soon there'll be people who, who didn't. And it was just a memory kind of like nine 11. Those of us who were in, old enough to remember, um, 
you know, the details of that. And then, and then there's a whole, you know, here we are 20 years later and you got, you got kids who have no, it has no visceral thing for them. It was before their time. Um, you know, 20 years before I was born, it was the late fifties. And so <laughs> it's, it's the late fifties might as well have been a thousand years ago when I was a kid. That was a joke. Uh, uh, I think this all the time, you know, in, in, uh, selling my home and buying a new home and going through this whole fucking stressful process. Um, you just come to realize how fast time goes by. Um, who knows what house this is that I'm in. This has got to be my, my 10th home at least. And you know, any place that I've stayed longer than a year, I sort of consider a home and, and, um, it goes by quick. Isn't it going by quick? I had a I had a um, a friend in Germany, a director, uh, and and assistant director. She used to put up the the shows that had been up for years, and she could put them up in half a day. She was really talented that way, and and I hadn't seen her in, in a long time. And 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 uh, we did a show a couple of years ago, and uh, there she was, my old pal, putting up putting up the shows in five seconds. And she asked how everything was going, and I said it's, it's all going by too fast. And she stopped me and she said. That means it's that you're enjoying it. That means that you're having a good life. You know, if it was going by slow, you you're probably not enjoying it. And I like that. It made me feel better about how quickly time is going. My my father said to me, uh, my father who's seventy six says, you know, next year it'll be uh, fifty years since he was out of high school. I thought, my God, are you old? <laughs> You know, I don't want to go to that. Re- I mean, I don't want to go to any reunion, but I would definitely not want to go to the fifty, <laughs> the fiftieth reunion. That one might be depressing. <laughs> uh, everybody just looking around, thankful to still be there. <laughs> it's awful. I didn't go to any uh, um, school reunions at all. I had, I, I really had no desire, but only because the people that I loved, I kept up with. Um, and, and it was only a few of those and, and that was fine by me, you know, like the season of a relationship can change, you know, it's fine that somebody's in your life for this period of time and then, then they're not for this period of time. I, I'm really okay with that. I do have friends who uh, make great efforts to keep connections and, and I'm not always so good about that because I just sort of let things happen naturally. Um, uh, somebody that you, that you're really tight with when you're 17 doesn't necessarily understand you when you're 42. Um, I mean, they may know the real you because they remember the, the, the kid, but, um, you know, you, you don't share a lot of things in common anymore. Uh, certainly I, I don't share a lot in common with most people I grew up with. I was reading about the town I grew up in, this little, little town on Long Island called Center Reach. And it was, um, uh, you know, a very middle income, uh, working class, uh, town. My, my father wore, uh, wore a suit to work every day, but none of my buddies' dads did. I don't, I don't remember even one. I don't remember seeing even one other guy that wore a suit. And so it was a pretty working class, um, town. And, and so, you know, (laughs) opera's not necessarily on the, on the radar. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't on my radar either. It just, it just, um, it just happened. I, I took a focus. I, 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 I remember getting into college and thinking, I really don't want to teach. But that was that was really your only one of your few options in life. <laughs> it seemed legit. I'll just be a teacher. I, I I heard that from so many friends. I'll just be a teacher. Like that's just an easy thing to do. That's that's what you do when when you don't know what to do. I, people have said that for years. But I I think it's a horrifically difficult job. 
uh, you know, the, the, the teachers that make it look easy are special. Uh, it's tough. And, and I was in classes with 25 and 30. I mean, they were, these were big, big classes. Uh, and I didn't even go to the biggest school in Long Island. They were, you know, my buddies went to school nearby and they they graduated with, you know, 1500 kids. Like you get to graduation, you don't even know half those names. I graduated with about 400 and it still felt massive. Uh, yeah, opera wasn't necessarily on that uh, on that radar. I, I had to decide when I got to college that I just I wanted to go for something great. Um, I wasn't ready to be. Um, I I didn't want to be average in any way. I didn't want to just get by. I think I had I think I had made it to college by just sort of coasting. You know, if if you if I went to class and paid attention, I'd get a B, and that was fine. And then you get to college and you realize, you know what, that's, that's really not enough because clearly I'm capable of more. And so I just, I put this work ethic that I knew I had into something I loved. And that was the, the secret, I think. Uh, if you love what you're doing, it's not, you, the work is completely justified and it's hardly considered work. I mean, yes, there are, there are days where you're just like trying to just plow through and get through something or you're, you're not feeling it or your, your energy is low and, uh, but but for the most part, the ninety percent of it, I was so excited to be doing what I was doing that I that I dove in. Uh, you know, not every diction class was a joy. <laughs> they still give me diction shit. Just for you young singers out there, when they're when they're really giving you a hard time about your Italian diction, just remember that CVH told you that I worked in Rome and nobody. Nobody makes more of these Italian errors than the Italians. <laughs> they really break our balls about diction, and and rightfully so. We should be we should be getting as close as we can. But nobody's ever going to confuse an American singer as being French or being Italian or or being German. Like it's that's never you're never going to fool somebody if you're singing Wagner in Munich. They know. <laughs> There's nothing you could do. You could have the most perfect diction, but the, I, I assure you, they hear that you're not authentic, and and so they're just going to continue to give you notes like that. <laughs> that never ends. Uh, it slows down because because the coaches get younger and younger and get intimidated to come talk to you, which is beautiful. But <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I never I never fooled anybody that I was anything but an American singing in a different language. Now, I, I don't think that I'm particularly bad at diction, but I, I'm certainly not the best. Um, but I've never fooled anyone. I've never come out of a performance and somebody said, I thought you were French. <laughs> they think I'm German because of my last name and because I'm six foot four, but uh, <laughs> that was only after they heard me sing in something other than German. <laughs> Listen to your diction teachers, everybody. Do the work, but uh, I'm telling you, when when you finally sing in Italy, you're going to go, what? <laughs> the only thing they definitely do in Italy correctly is the double consonants. Everything else is completely up to you. These, these, these guys will end a phrase with a gigantic shadow vowel and completely change the word, and nobody cares. The audience is raucous for it. They love it. I had a, I had a big... Um, 
you know, saying a big success is, is a little indulgent, but, uh, it, it was a success and the, and the people were very happy with me. And, and as soon as I finished singing Donizetti in Rome, they were offering me Don Giovanni in Rome. And, and, and so, you know, with, with somebody with American diction, they didn't care. It was all about the voice. Um, so if you're getting bogged down in diction classes, <laughs> just skip it and make sure your voice is amazing. It forgives everything. Go listen to Joan Sutherland if you want to hear some bad diction. Doesn't matter, right? Because it was just this glorious instrument that could do anything. Nobody cares. That stuff, that's the well-rounded singer. But let me tell you, it better be voice first. That's, uh, that's, uh, take it from your old pal here. I've gone around a few times. <laughs> I, I've told this story about, it, you know, just singing um, the, the speaker in Magic Flute in Munich. It's only four pages, and I could sing the hell out of it, uh, but but the the coach was <laughs> was wildly disappointed in me. It would I don't think it would have mattered if I came in there and had uh, you know the diction of Hans Hotter. It wouldn't have mattered. Uh, they <laughs> he still would have been disappointed. It was like like it was his job to be disappointed, and and we did so many performances. And I'm telling you, I sang that I sang it well. And he would be in the wings every night, and I would just look over, and he would just be <laughs> shaking his head. <laughs> Four pages of music, 12 hours of coaching, still couldn't do it right. You're never going to fool anybody, you're, you know, unless, unless you're absolutely fluent with the correct uh, dialect, um, you know, uh, and um, accent. Uh, they, they know. Believe me, they know. <laughs> Um, this was a Thursday show. I'm late today. I barely got this one in because it is, um, house hunting hell. And you know, for how easy it was to sell my home, it is now, um, that hard to buy one. Uh, it's, it's so intimidating. You're throwing out all the conventional things that happen when you buy a home. You're throwing out appraisal. You're throwing out inspection. You're throwing out, just giving it a, you know, effectively, we're going to be able to look at a house for 30 minutes and then have to make a decision. And then you have to be wildly aggressive, way over asking. And you got to, you got to cover closing. I mean, it's just a, <laughs> oh man, I feel like we're just in the middle of a nasty bubble and, and I'm going to, I'm going to jump in like all the other fools and then it's, <laughs> the bottom's going to drop out. I'm going to be stuck in the next house for, for 20 years. I love you for listening. Thank you for listening. Quick show today. I got to go get back to some stuff. Um, house hunting all weekend. Uh, maybe it'll be done. Maybe by Tuesday's show, I'll be all done. Or Monday, Monday show. Monday. <laughs> Hopefully by Monday's show, uh, this, this may be all done. I'll let you know. I have a feeling not. <laughs> I feel like we haven't lost enough offers yet. We, we got, before we get really aggressive. Uh, I never thought I would have to deal with these kind of numbers in my life. <laughs> my father's house that I grew up in um, cost him $42,000 in 1972. And um, that was a lot. <laughs> he was stretched. Uh, you know. And so when you start dealing with the numbers that I'm dealing with in Northern Virginia, Fairfax County, Loudoun County, uh, it's it's embarrassing. You can't, it's, you can't even believe that for this much money that I don't get... 40 acres and a palace. Really? All I get is this house that's really close to the next house. 
That's how it is. All right. I love you for listening. Thursday, May 6th, CBH Podcast. Uh, we'll see you on Monday. Everybody have a great weekend. Thanks. Bye. Never